Please do keep that passage open on page 1128 of your church Bibles uh, as we look at the beginning of Romans chapter 1 together this morning. Now, I wonder what sort of cultural mishaps some of you may have made over the years, perhaps if you've been away uh, on holiday somewhere. Up until recently, uh, I used to travel to Turkey at least once a year to visit missionaries for many years. Um, and I, it was only recently that I discovered a real, oh, a real blooper that I made and I just wasn't aware of it. Um, if you travel in Turkey, you'll find these things called dolmishes. They're like taxis, but they're like minibuses. Uh, and you stand by the side of the road and they just scream up to you. They park anywhere on the road uh, and they look at you and say, you know, are you getting in? And for many years, uh, I, I was, in the early days, I was standing there, um, not quite thinking, is, is this the, the minibus, the dolmish I want to get in or is it not? Um, and I didn't really speak Turkish. Uh, and all of a sudden, the, I would just shake my head like this as if to say, no, I, I'm not getting you your bus, just to give me some breathing space to think about the next one that I might get. Um, but it was only some time later that I discovered that the polite way to say no in Turkish is to raise your eyebrows and tut. I mean, can you believe it? Um, and so by, by shaking my head, what I was saying was, I don't know. That's what I do. And, and by, by shaking my head even more confidently like this, it was just, what is this guy on? And, the, and you'd see the, the Dolmus driver just get cross, mutter something under his breath, and then just drive off at speed. And, and likewise, as we come on first reading to this passage this morning, uh, it's almost like there are mixed messages with these opening verses of Romans. The Apostle Paul, writing um, to the Christians in Rome, in verse 15 says, I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you. But wait a minute. I mean, these are Christians, aren't they? Paul is writing to the church at Rome. So, so why does he want to preach the gospel to them? Well, well, let's check if I've got this straight. Let's look in verse 7 together. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. In verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is, is being reported over all the world. So not only are they Christians, but they are infamous for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is eager to preach the gospel to them. Can that make any sense? And this eagerness of Paul's isn't a whim, it's not a passing thought. In verse nine, the end of it, we see, he talks about how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray, that now at last by God's will, the, may, the, 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 the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So it appears that the gospel, the account of the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus and why it was necessary, the gospel or, or, or hearing the gospel preached isn't only for those of us who aren't Christians, it is for all of us. No matter how long we may be trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, no, how, no matter how infamous Hamilton Road Church might be for its faith, the gospel is just as important now as it was on the first day that we understood and in faith surrendered our lives to the Lord Jesus. And in a sense, at Crosslinks, the organization I work with, that's why it has two priorities. Firstly, 
proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, training and equipping others to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wants the church at Rome to be steeped in the gospel. He wants them to be partners in the gospel. Let's be clear, he wants other things for them too, like harmony between the, the Gentile and Jewish believers. But this morning, we are going to concentrate on the gospel ambitions that Paul has for the church at Rome. Like us, the gospel had clearly reached them. But like us also, only when it permeates their whole being will it change how they look on themselves, their outlook to each other in the church, and their outlook to others in their land and beyond who are not yet Christians. And so almost like a manifesto, Paul lays out his conviction, his unshakable belief here in verses 16 and verse 17. And that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Verse 16 onwards. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There are two things that we should take away from this passage this morning. Nothing is more powerful than the gospel proclaimed. And secondly, we all need to keep hearing the gospel proclaimed. So first of all, nothing is more powerful than the gospel proclaimed. Or perhaps let's express it a different way. There is nothing on earth that we can do that is more powerful than speaking the gospel. But, but notice here, Paul starts this mini manifesto but telling us that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And that might have you asking, why on earth would anybody be ashamed of the gospel? Why, why would he say such a thing? Well, well, in a sense, that perhaps has always been the case, hasn't it? That, that doing things or, or signs and wonders have always seemed more impressive than words. And the gospel is most definitely words. However, God's words are what God chooses to use. We've heard it said that the pen is mightier than the sword, but this is so much more than that. When God speaks, things happen. Even from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, I could say, Alexa, Switch on the lights. And this is being streamed around Bangor and, and around the world at the minute. And somewhere, lights are being switched on in homes. <laughs> you know, I can only apologize for, for those of you who are listening at home right now. But that is not me creating light. That's just a cheap stunt, me switching on the lights in people's living rooms. But God speaks and there was light. And that was at a point when there wasn't light. You see, the words of the gospel are powerful. They are the most powerful thing you can ever imagine. Let's try and get some perspective on this. Imagine with me the most spectacular firework display that you've ever been at in your life. I don't know when that would be. Close your eyes if you really want to. You know, just picture the cascade after fireworks in the air getting faster and faster and louder and louder and it comes up to the big crescendo at the end. 
And then just imagine me standing at the very back of the crowd saying, no, no, look, turn around, look at me, look at me, look at me. And the crowd turning around. And there I am with my little party popper going. How pathetic that is compared to the, the noise and the light of the fireworks, the gospel. Everything else is just pathetic, like my little party popper at the back of the crowd. So again, why do I say that the gospel is the most powerful thing ever? Well, read with me halfway through verse 16. It says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You see, when God speaks his own words, incredible things happen. We see that. But when we proclaim God's word, the gospel, he uses the words that come out of our mouths to make the most fantastic things happen. Instead of facing God's wrath, those who believe are made righteous in his sight. God has chosen no other way to take people from the kingdom of dark into the kingdom of light. Nothing else can prepare people for the judgment that they will face, for the wrath of God that we read of in the rest of chapter 1 of Romans and right through to, ch to chapter 2. Nothing else can take people from death to life. Nothing else leads to salvation. I can think of some very powerful things, but nothing nearly as powerful as restoring a right relationship between me and Almighty God. Nothing is as powerful as permitting me to live forever in the presence of God himself. If there was any doing to be done, Jesus has already done it. If there were any signs and wonders to be had, Jesus has already done that. Jesus died publicly on the cross for our sins so that we might be right with God. Salvation is granted to those of us who believe who believe in the words of the gospel and trust Jesus as our savior. And so a big takeaway is for us to never forget in all that we strive to do, that speaking the gospel is how God has ordained the most powerful transformation, the biggest change possible in people's lives. And even in this time when we slowly come out of perhaps when maybe you've experienced it like me, you've spent more time speaking on Zoom than you did face to face. We're sort of getting over that now, aren't we? When so much of our ministry had to move online for a couple of years, even in those situations, the words of the gospel are no less effective. All across the world, since the, the, the pandemic began, um, I, I heard stories from our mission partners in those countries around the world of people signing up for Christianity Explored courses and Bible studies. People who wouldn't ordinarily go near a, Bible, a, a church building. <clears throat> During that time, I heard of people regularly coming to the Lord Jesus in places such as Ireland and in Belgium and in the Czech Republic and in France and in many other places. But let me tell you about Martin. Martin attended an evangelistic Zoom course run by Diego, one of our partners in Chile. He was one of 10 people who attended the course. He was always respectful, but it was always him who had Diego on the ropes. It was always him with the, the harsh questions. It was always him with the skepticism. But Diego writes this sometime afterwards about Martin. In spite of this, he persevered all those weeks. 
And from recent conversations, I understood that from the beginning, he felt something captivating about the biblical preaching of Jesus. Then about two months ago, Martin decided to identify publicly as a Christian. Diego goes on to write, Martin is actually a filmmaker and he invited me to, to host an online streaming of one of his movies followed by an online conversation. About 20 people joined the event and it was then I understood that he had not just been a Buddhist but he was a Buddhist teacher and most of the people who attended the film screening were his followers and his students. Martin told them all that he was now a Christian and that he wanted them to listen to Diego. He wanted them to find out about Mark's gospel for himself and to join a series of Bible studies. Not even the pandemic can dull the power of the gospel, the ability to transform people's lives through the hearing of it. But of course, there are some people who are ashamed of the gospel, as Paul would say. So why do people swap the power of the gospel for something that is not even second best or third best or fourth best, swapping a fireworks display for my pathetic little party popper. Well, I, I suspect it's because people have forgotten the simplicity of the gospel, or, per, or perhaps they've added to it, or they've subtracted from it, even to the point that the gospel is no longer the gospel that has been passed down to us. And that takes us to our second point. We all need to keep hearing the gospel We've heard it said, haven't we, that a dog is for life, not just Christmas, or more, more recently, a dog is for life, not just lockdown. But the gospel is for life, not just to get us over the line. The gospel is not just to make us Christians so that we can get on with the more important theology. We all need to keep hearing the gospel, continuing to proclaim the gospel, or perhaps continuing to hear the gospel proclaimed enables us to keep a right perspective on who we are and on how we minister to others. The problem is that without hearing the gospel, individuals, entire churches, risk veering off into danger. I was in Kenya just a couple of months ago, actually back in May, and I was speaking with Pastor Patrick Cyprian, one of our local partners in Nairobi, and during the conversation, he shared with me what I had heard other church leaders from Kenya say to me over the last couple of years. Now, this is Kenya, a country that is 82% Christian, if you look at the statistics. He said the two biggest gospel problems in Kenya right now are this. Firstly, when faced with calamities such as droughts or floods, many Christians are being lured back to African traditional religions they're going up to the, the mountains to make sacrifices to gods, to their ancestors, to appease the gods, to try and get help because of the plight that they have. And secondly, in the face of economic hardship facing Kenya, many Christians are looking in desperation for, for a way out of that. And in desperation, they find the prosperity gospel being taught by many churches in order to solve their problems. And in reality, the only people who gets wealthy in a prosperity church is the pastor. Never has there been a greater need to stand alongside gospel-minded churches, to keep our, ourselves accountable in our, in our towns, not, you know, as well as across the world, to encourage each other not to, to, to subtract or to add from the gospel, to stand fast and not to cave into pressures 
to change. It's a little wonder then that Paul is keen to preach the gospel to the church at Rome so they keep it straight in their head and so that it transfers from their heads to their hearts and to their whole being. In verse 17, the apostle writes, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In this mini manifesto, the apostle Paul reminds us that righteousness, the very essence of God himself, the free gift of God, God reaching out to those of us who don't deserve it and giving us a right status before him, that comes by faith alone. Faith that we can bring nothing to the table. Faith that we come entirely empty-handed. There's nothing in our own right that we can do. Faith that it is entirely through Jesus' death on the cross in our place that our sins can be forgiven. Faith that only by believing in the gospel that God clothes us in righteousness and we can have a relationship with the Lord, our maker. And we can't hear this too much, brothers and sisters. We cannot hear it too much because left to our own devices, we're tempted to make the gospel more complicated, a set of rules. You can do this, you can't do that. And the more we do that, the less it resembles the gospel. And we also need to keep hearing it. And maybe this is more important because it reminds us that every one of us has been in the same starting position. We all started in the same place, or putting it a different way, we all need to be reminded that we're really not too different. We're really no better than everyone around us. It is only by the saving grace of the Lord Jesus that he lifted us out of our wretched state. He redeems us and grants us the position that we now have as his brothers and sisters, with God as our Father. Paul says that the gospel came first to the Jews and to Jew and then to the Gentile. And we know that there were tensions between these two groups of believers in Rome. It's likely that the Jewish believers, um, with their knowledge and their tradition, they were probably know-it-alls and likely to be lording it over the Gentiles, presenting themselves as superior. But the gospel reminds us reminds us that we all come from a position of sinfulness. We all come from a position of deserving God's punishment. And so we too, each one of us, each one of us needs to remind ourselves that we are con constantly, that we are not any better than anyone else in this church. Or if you're a visitor from your own church this morning, or in this city, or in this country, the gospel brings us back to the point of saying that we only have the immeasurable riches that God bestows on us when we realize that we don't deserve it and we realize that we are unworthy. So it's easy to look in the rest of the world and, and forget our common fallenness. It, it, this, this is our 100th anniversary at Crosslinks. And, and as you can imagine, I spent time looking through our archives and of course, there are some unusual things that wouldn't be acceptable now, like, like Maggie, the BCMS elephant in Burma, who, who went up and down the rescuing people and, and taking the mail sometimes. But as I read accounts of missions from the UK at the beginning of the last century and, and the previous one, it makes my heart sink to read of accounts of people taking the gospel to, quote unquote, the heathen 
the heathen of Borneo or the, the heathen of Africa. Now, of course, that was the language of the time and that was the day of the, the, the empire, the British Empire. And, but the problem was that the gospel went overseas with British civilizing culture at the same time. Perhaps I'm reading too much into that old-fashioned language and it's always easy to criticize it um, with hindsight in those situations. But it doesn't always reflect the gospel message that we are intrinsically no better than others. Never mind the reformers' refrain of faith alone. So not only is there a need to preach the gospel to those who have not heard it across the world, there's also a pressing need to stand alongside our brothers and sisters around the world by training and equipping and enabling all those who will proclaim the gospel faithfully in their own countries. And to do this, what we need are men and women who don't think of themselves as cleverer, who don't go saying, here's what I'm going to do when I go to this country, who doesn't think of themselves as superior or cleverer. They aren't know-it-alls. Instead, what is needed is humble people, trusting entirely in the Lord Jesus, people who continue to listen to the gospel, people so steeped in the gospel that they identify with the sinful origins that we all share. The sins are different, but they're all there. And it's entirely the Lord's grace and mercy that saves us. So let us pray for ourselves. Pray that we will never feel the need to move on from the gospel that was handed down to us. Let us pray that the gospel will be continued to be proclaimed in this place here and in this city and in this country and beyond to the ends of the earth. Let us pray for men and women from this church and others who are saturated in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and who will proclaim it throughout all of the world. And perhaps ask ourselves if that ought to be us too. Let us remind ourselves that nothing on earth is more powerful than the gospel proclaimed. And let us resolve to keep proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ at home and throughout all of the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who came that we might have a way to be right with you. Thank you for the gospel that has been passed down to us for our salvation and for others. Lord, may we never be ashamed of that gospel, but proclaim it confidently. Proclaim it to those who have yet to call out to you as Lord and to continue to proclaim it to all of us who have already heard it and trust in your name. And it is in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.